the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse-by-verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message. Uh, Because you don't have your bulletins with you, the title of our sermon is God's Foolish Wisdom. This is part five, and we begin looking at the ministry. And so far, starting in the end of chapter one of 1 Corinthians, we've been looking at how Paul contrasts the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of man. And we have seen that they're not just slightly different, they are worlds apart, so much so that man sees the cross and sees God's wisdom as foolish, and God, who frankly his opinion and his truth is the only one that matters, sees and declares man's wisdom not only as foolish, but God's wisdom destroys, utterly decimates the wisdom of man. I wanted to share with you just by way of introduction and and for something a little light, especially during these days, a first grade teacher decided to give every child in her class the first half of a well-known English saying or proverb and then asked these kids, these first graders, to come up with the remainder of the saying, the proverb. And these are a few of the choice answers of the wisdom of the first grader. Again, the first part is is standard. The teacher gave it to them, and then the student, the first grader, was able to uh, fill in the rest. Strike while the bug is close. It's always darkest before daylight saving time. Never underestimate the power of termites. Don't bite the hand that looks dirty, especially true during these days. I recommend not biting any hands. You can't teach a dog new math. An idle mind is the best way to relax. That one's dangerous. Don't follow the first grader's advice. Where there's smoke, there's pollution. Happy the bride who gets all the presents. A penny saved is not much. Laugh and the whole world laughs with you. Cry and you will have to blow your nose. You get out of something only what you see in the picture on the box. Children should be seen and not spanked or grounded. And perhaps my favorite, a bird in the hand is going to poop on you. The wisdom of first graders. Well, as cute as these are, 
they actually highlight the difference between the wisdom of a child and the wisdom of an adult. And in many cases, these answers are, are very practical, the children's answers. They actually make more sense than the actual proverb itself, but only in the pragmatic, limited mind of a first grader. What's more, you, in listening to these, you can almost tell what is going on in their home, their current or limited experience based on their answers. I mean, what first grader would, would know about the destructive nature of termites unless they themselves experienced it and heard their parents dealing with the situation? Whatever they've said in answering these proverbs and their practical advice only reflects their young and limited practical reality. Just like the wisdom of all men. I mean, think about it as we've contrasted the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of men, especially in how to reach salvation, how to reach heaven, how to be right with God in these false religions. They're all man-made because in our experience, you have to work hard to succeed. In our experience, if you want anything good, you have to work hard and earn it yourself. And so that's why they come up with these things. And that's why they, they look at the cross and they say, someone dying for our sins, that's foolish, that's hogwash, that's, that's not going to work. Just pray a prayer, give my life to someone who did it all for me, that doesn't make sense. Because their experience is limited. And for something as big and, and as eternal as being with God, being right with God, going to heaven then how much more to rely on our own works, how much more to rely on our own wisdom. But God's wisdom isn't like that. It is often not what you expect because it's not worldly. It's not based on our experience and our experience which leads to expectations of more similar experiences. God's wisdom is not focused on what makes this life better. It's not devised from the finite mind living in the finite world. And we saw this centered in the cross. Again, only the, the infinitely wise mind of God could come up with such a solution to man's problem, sin. And since the wisdom of God surrounds his salvation plan, it naturally follows that the message and the preaching of that message must follow that same wisdom, and indeed it does. For us, it's important to not merely know the wisdom in the message, in other words, to know about the cross, to know how and why we are saved, but also to present, to preach, to share, to give that message to others in light of that wisdom. So how do we do that? especially when what we are presenting is a wisdom that man will naturally reject. In and of themselves, they, they can't even understand it. The natural man does not comprehend the things of the Spirit. So how do we, as finite people, who, yes, know and have experienced the wisdom of God, but it is still an otherworldly wisdom of God, how do we present that in line with the wisdom of the message? Well, this morning and in two weeks, we will see five lessons for evangelism, for our ministries in presenting the gospel. Five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's ministry.
Five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's ministry, or specifically his preaching. And if you recall, this goes in line with what we have been seeing, where, we, where Paul rather set the foundation of the wisdom of man versus the wisdom of God, highlighting, of course, God's wisdom. And then the past couple of weeks, we saw two, or the first of two practical manifestations of that wisdom. The first was the call, the salvific call. And now even more practical for us, as we live our lives in this world, the ministry, the preaching, evangelism. Five lessons for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's preaching. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, though we have entered a new chapter in 1 Corinthians, we are continuing the same flow of thought. Verses 1 through 5, 1 Corinthians 2. Again, we will unpack this over uh, two weeks. Next week is our Q&A, so we'll take a break. Verse 1, starting in verse 1. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The first lesson for evangelism from the wisdom of God in Paul's preaching is that the mindset is distinct. The mindset is distinct. And for all of these, you could replace the with our. Our mindset is distinct. Or rather, our mindset should be distinct when it comes to ministry and evangelism. Let me read for you again, verse 1. Paul speaking of himself, And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. Now, it's very important to understand that Paul is not referring to this epistle when he says, when I came to you. He's not referring to instruction to the Christians. He is referring to the first time he went to Corinth when they were unbelievers there and he preached the gospel to them. And as we know, they were saved and the the church at Corinth was established. Now, from this verse, we see that Paul's manner of preaching was distinct from the world, from from the way the world would do things, as should be ours. Distinct meaning, of course, it's not the same. It's different than the world. And the idea of how he approaches his preaching ministry, we've already seen back when we started talking about the wisdom of God. In fact, back in verse 17 of chapter 1, It was Paul saying that he did not come with cleverness of speech that really initiated or set off this entire discourse on the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. In other words, this wasn't just about intellectual limitations that made his preaching style distinct. It was his mindset. He wasn't limited just because he wasn't very smart or because there was something wrong with his his physical ability to speak. It was a mindset that he chose to have. And what he says now to the Corinthians is that when he came to preach the good news, he rejected worldly methods. Specifically, he says in verse 1, 
He didn't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom. Of course, this speaks of worldly wisdom. Let's unpack these two things that he rejected. The first is superiority of speech. This is a, a type of speech, as indicated by, by even the English, the type of speech that kind of rises above the speech of others. It, 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 is, it is more eloquent, more oratory than, than just casual conversation. This would refer to rhetorical display. We've talked about this a lot in this, in this, uh, this study. This, this phrase, superiority of speech, is translated different ways in your different English Bibles, and they all give insight into the actual meaning, the correct meaning in the Greek. The ESV translates it lofty speech. The NIV says eloquence. The KJV says excellency of speech. Now remember, the historical context of what Paul is addressing and when he is writing. This is the time of ancient Greece, the Roman Empire, these things that you studied about back in high school. These were uh, the, the times of the infamous Greek orators who were praised for their persuasive and eloquent oration. And we see this today, not 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 as pervasive in in our uh, times. In fact, uh, uh, speaking like this is is very rare. And, and in fact, speaking in slang and emojis and whatnot is is considered high speech sometimes. But even among public speakers, you know when there's someone who is a more captivating lecturer, professor, public speaker, keynote speaker, whatever it may be, than someone who isn't. Someone who just is able to engage you, who is, who is very fluent with the English language or whatever language they are speaking in. So that's superiority of speech. Right? You, would, you would hear this person speaking, and there's a reason there's so many people there to, to hear him, and the way he speaks is very distinct. It is more lofty than perhaps other speakers you've heard or even other professors you've had. The second worldly method that Paul rejected was wisdom. And we, again, we've talked about this a lot because this is really the theme, worldly wisdom versus God's wisdom. This is uh, cleverness, stuff that man can come up with, worldly wisdom. This is philosophy. Again, we are talking about a time and place in history where philosophy was at its peak. Back when we were studying uh, this topic in chapter 1, Paul said that he avoids such practices lest he make void the cross of Christ. And back when explaining that passage, I gave you three reasons focusing on, on this type of thing, on, on really just how you present rather than the message itself, how that could make void the cross of Christ. And I just want to go over those three again by way of reminder. The first way you can make void the cross of Christ is that you replace the power of the cross with human oratory persuasion. We see this all the time among false teachers, among uh, different prosperity teachers and things like that. They, they don't highlight sin and the need for a savior and the importance of the cross. Rather, they impress people with their skills of speech their oratory persuasion. And all of a sudden, when you can draw in crowds because how well you speak, then people are drawn to the, the, the messenger rather than the message. 
And so if that's what's getting people to put money in the offering pot, get people in the door, make you famous, then why not ditch the message and just impress people, feed your ego with your rhetoric? We can do this on a personal level by saying something that kind of borderlines on, on seeker sensitivity and maybe we in, unintentionally just by our choice of words to the hearer, we watered down total depravity or the, the need for Christ or lordship salvation and you see their eyes perk up and all of a sudden the fear of man just rocks your mind and then you start thinking, oh, I, I can just impress him with how I'm speaking rather than focusing on the incredibly offensive but true saving message. A second way this could, um, focusing on, on, uh, on superiority of speech and worldly wisdom can make void the cross of Christ, is that sophisticated speech was tied back then to a value system that prized education and social power. The cross, on the other hand, is for everyone not just the well-educated and powerful people of the world. And the focus on man's eloquence appeals to and elevates a certain type of person. And that goes to the detriment of everyone else. This dampens the power of the cross, which cuts through all human distinctions, whether race, class, gender, or social status. And for our context this morning, in terms of our personal ministry and evangelism, the gospel message is to be presented by all Christians. And not just the well-versed or the well-educated, so much so that the Bible says you are in sin if you don't present that message to the unbelieving world. There is no out, there is no excuse, there is no teacher's note because you don't evangelize and your excuse is, well, I never completed high school or I'm just not a good speaker or I'm, I'm, I'm considered under the poverty, poverty line. That, that doesn't matter. The gospel is for all and is to be preached by all Christians. And thirdly, clever speech is superficial. Clever speech is superficial. It appeals to the motions without cutting to the heart of man as only the cross does and can do. You will get results with clever speech in terms of followers. You may even get verbal professions of commitment, but they are not genuine. These people are not saved. If you have not truly shared the gospel with them, how can they be? Man's praise will come, perhaps even fame, as we've seen for many so-called Christian preachers around the world. But there will be no true conversion, and these people have filled stadiums with the false security of salvation, whereas all of them are most likely damned because they've never been taught sin. They have never been taught repentance. So they may sit there praising that speaker, even in, with their lips, saying praises to God, singing the worship songs, but thinking they're saved, they actually aren't because they've never been told they're sinners. So clever speech is superficial. And you can see how, and this is not a complete list, 
but you can see how if we just focus on our own ability to speak to the detriment of the gospel message, you make void the cross of Christ. You take away the only thing in anything you say that has the power to save, and then you're okay with crowds, you're okay with eyes lighting up and people smiling, but that's not true conversion. But back to our text. It's not that Paul didn't use speech or he didn't think about what he was saying. You can be sure that he chose his words very carefully, not just to be clear, but also in reverence to the message he was preaching, as we should as well. He was also orderly, as we see in his epistles, moving through consecutive thoughts that build upon each other. In other words, this is not an excuse to let go and let God and just throw out some random words and expect the Holy Spirit to do his thing. We still need to be clear. We, we still need to explain the problem of sin before we explain the solution of the cross. And so we need to think. We need to be smart about it. We need to know what facts are part of the saving message and how to present them in order. Not leaving out the cross, not forgetting the resurrection, not leaving out sin and repentance. But what Paul did avoid was focusing on what the Corinthians loved in a speaker and what they judged a speaker by. Think about that. Paul didn't care about what made him a good speaker in the eyes of the world. Ultimately, what we're talking about here is that he did not have the fear of man. Excellence, yes. Clarity, yes. Appealing to what people want, absolutely not. He was focused on God and did not care about the social and cultural criteria for a good speaker. And in the end, the end of verse 1, look at what he proclaimed. The testimony of God. This is the full and complete saving gospel. I mean, think about that word testimony. When someone gives their testimony in a court of law, they are standing on the, or sitting at the witness stand, and they are testifying, or serving as witness, eyewitness, to something they have heard, or seen, or experienced. Tell me, Mr. Chen, at 5.32 p.m. on Thursday night, on March 5th, were you such and such? Yes, I was doing this, and I remember I was in my kitchen, and I heard an explosion. It is based on objective, personal facts. And when someone gives their testimony at church, it's the same thing. They're sharing with the congregation things about their own lives. We don't know what's going on if we haven't heard their testimony before. They're sharing things, how they grew up, their name, their occupation, their salvation story. We don't know these things. Only they know. They've experienced it. They are sharing what is true based on their lives and their experience. 
In any true testimony, there is no speculation or guessing. They are simply relaying the facts of what they have experienced. And in the same way, this is what Paul was doing. This is what we must do in evangelism. We do not embellish. We do not conjecture. We do not add worldly wisdom to a very clear and frankly simple message that is inherently hostile to worldly wisdom. Or really any wisdom that we could come up with. That's what makes our mindset distinct. We do not follow the status quo of society. We do not put the focus on ourselves. We do not tell our version of the story. We follow God's wisdom, put the focus on Him, and tell His story as He wants us to. And that's why our mindset is distinct. Because society does what everyone else does. They, they gauge their, their success as a speaker based on what society says. They focus on themselves. They give their version of the story. We don't do any of that. Our mindset is different. It's distinct. It's unique. It is of the wisdom of God. When you water it down, when you appeal to the flesh, when you try to impress your listener, your mindset isn't distinct. It's just like everyone else's. You're just doing the same things that the world does. And so, in our ministries, in our evangelism, our mindset must be distinct. This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information, or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Rogers' teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.